Good morning. It is so good to see everyone here. I'm excited what the Lord's doing, what He's about to do, I believe, here at our church. And we are taking a little bit of a break from our study in Hebrews because I think the Lord has called us to get back to some of the foundational issues. And last week, what did we talk about? We talked about the importance of church worship, of the corporate worship service. As we come in here every week from the very beginning to the very end, this is something that we do and we participate with God in our worship, in the songs, in the reading, in the teaching, hopefully, and um, in the praying and everything. It's a lot different than individual worship. So it's crucial, it's critically important, I believe, to the foundation of this local body and all local bodies that we come and we worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Now, today, we're going to jump into another uh, interesting aspect of this foundational principle of really being the church of God, because we have to be before we can do. And so our passage today is going to be from Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 28. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. A couple months ago, I left my house very early in the morning to come on over here to church to get some work done. And as I had left the house, you could probably relate to this. You have that feeling like you're forgetting something. And so you go, I went to the front door and I said, I know I'm forgetting something. So I put my bag down. I did a whole nother walk through my office downstairs. The house I thought was empty, went through my office, looked, I said, no, I got everything. I get in my truck, I back out, I drive down my driveway and I slam on the brakes. I said, I realized what I've forgotten. My son, Ezra. (laughs) And I was, it had just occurred to me that my wife had left. She had left with uh, my daughter. My son had went off to school. So I call my wife and I say, do you have Ezra? She goes, no. I say, where is he? He's lying in bed. So of course I pull back into the house. I go upstairs and he is sound asleep. Now, the funny thing is, is that if I had left him home, he would have probably had a ball. He would have probably, who knows what he would have gotten himself into at first. But eventually, once he realized he was alone, I think the atmosphere for him would have changed a little bit. And the reason why is because he had no oversight. My wife, she thought that I had him. Me, I thought that she had him. And meanwhile, He's left all alone. And I think that's really important as it pertains to what we're going to talk about today as it relates to the church. Now, in our passage, what had happened is, is Paul, in, his, in this passage, he is talking to elders. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to leaders of the church. Shepherd the flock among you. Okay? Make sure that you understand that this flock that is yours, that is under your oversight, was purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ. He called for the elders from the church from Ephesus. He was in Miletus at the time, which was right near that. He didn't want to go into Ephesus because he was sort of on his way back to Jerusalem. And he calls for these elders and he gives them this talk because they would never see his face again. He knew that he was going to Jerusalem 
It was prophesied that he was going to be bound, that he was going to be put in jail. And that's exactly what happened multiple times. But the cool thing about this is Paul doesn't warn the elders to say, hey, make sure you really pack out these churches. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't come all the way and do all these missionary journeys for nothing. He didn't warn them to um, do anything else other than one single thing, and that was to oversee and shepherd correctly. Very specifically, shepherd the flock. And this flock is very identifiable. It's not just people who believe in Jesus. The flock is a very specific group of people that is under a very specific shepherd. Now, Paul, I'm sure he knew that sheep were inclined to wander. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I know me being a sheep, I like to walk up to the boundary a lot. I like to wander around. If it's not for, the, for Christ and the Spirit of God, keeping me and giving, putting different things in my life and people over me and people that I'm accountable to, we will tend in our best day, in our best spiritual time, we will tend to wander around. He also, in a couple verses later, he warns them that to protect the flock because wolves will creep into the flock. They'll be dressed as sheep. And a wolf loves to devour sheep. He typically goes after the sheep that's wandering. He'll go after the sheep that's wounded. But we also have to remember, he'll go after the sheep that's isolated. The sheep that sort of stays alone by themselves. And so the shepherd must, his job is to protect the sheep, keep them together, and even protect them against the wolves by fighting the wolves away. But I'd like to ask you, what if these shepherds have no idea? What if these elders had no idea who their sheep were? What if they had sheep that showed up in the fold, but never allowed the shepherd to directly care, to directly guide, and to directly protect them? They were elusive. Sometimes when the shepherd went out to look for a particular sheep, he would find that sheep hanging around another shepherd's fold. It's funny, I was thinking, could you imagine if the leaders of the church were like that? Imagine if you came here and you had no idea who the pastors were, who the elders were. Imagine if you walked in and, I don't know, you saw somebody pop in one week. Who are you? Well, I'm going to lead. I'm the shepherd this week. Next week, it's somebody else. The week after that, nobody shows up. Would the church even survive? It wouldn't. The reason it wouldn't, because that's not God's model for the church, right? God gives shepherds, really, they're under shepherds. They're under the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. So uh, I was looking and reading some of the Puritans about this topic, and it was really funny. When you go and research the Puritans about their congregations, and about the people that would attend their congregations, they had very, very strict rules. Even if somebody was another, if there was another preacher that was to come into a church that wasn't their congregation, they had to be approved with a special license by that existing minister, an actual piece of paper that had his signature on it. 
Crazier than that is church members of one congregation were not allowed to attend another church's congregation without the written permission of that minister. You couldn't go into a church and just say, hey, I'm visiting this week. Really? Where are you supposed to be there, sheep? Where are you supposed to be? You're out of your fold. Oh, no, here's a letter from my pastor. Now, I know that seems totally extreme for our culture, but the principle was that shepherds and sheep belonged to and devoted themselves to each other and to the congregation that they were a part of. It was a relationship. I don't believe Paul was very familiar with the concept of church hopping during the first century. People just checking out. I'm just checking out the church of Ephesus. You know, I'm from Laodicea, but I'm just checking out. I want to see what the worship's like here and if I feel the right vibe. There wasn't anything like that. Of course, it was a much different culture. It was a much different time under a much different civil situation and social situation. There was great persecution. People would cling to that local fellowship. I don't necessarily like to call it church hopping. I think it's more like being Christian orphans. You see, Christian orphans are those that sort of wander from church family to church family, but never really settle on a home. Maybe they pop into one church, then they visit another church for a while. You know exactly what I'm saying. Now, that's okay to look for a church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But the problem is, is that the leadership of each church figures the other person has them. Sort of like what happened with me and with, my, with Ezra, right? I thought my wife had him. She thought that I had him. Meanwhile, he's all alone lying in the bed. Thankfully safe, but susceptible. If that went on long, susceptible to danger. You see, that person eventually that ends up deferring from a, their, their, from a congregation and floating around is very likely to become a wandering sheep or a skinny sheep, right? They're not getting enough food because we tend to wander as people. We tend to isolate, especially in our individualistic culture. We would much rather stay home on Sunday morning and watch the sermon, not even live, but maybe later on as a recording. But we know that we're supposed to be here. We know that we're supposed to gather so we know that the Lord is, like we talked about last week, he's commanded us to do that. So we have to make sure that we understand that shepherds have particular sheep and sheep belong to particular congregations. And the other thing is that God even says that the shepherds are going to be held at a higher standard of judgment for them, for, 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 for the, the ability to be in that position Higher than regular judgment. James 3.1 says, let not, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. So what am I getting at? Why am I saying all this? What is my, what is my motive? What am I trying to sell you on? Well, really, I'm just trying to show you the importance of being a part of a local congregation. The solution isn't me chasing you. The solution isn't me calling you up on Monday when I don't see you here on Sunday. The solution isn't making me uh, or having some embarrassing situation that I could create. No, the solution is purely mutual. It's purely covenantal, right? Almost contractual verbally. 
contractual from the shepherds to the congregation and to the congregation to the shepherds. It's not only practical, but it's biblical as well. And of course, if you haven't figured it out, I'm talking about church membership. Now, is church membership in the Bible? Of course, you can open up to the first book of Church Alonians, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, you see, one thing we have to understand is that every doctrine that we have as believers isn't spelled out specifically in a didactic way in the Scriptures. This is what you should do. Thou shalt be a member of a church. That's not what God did. That's not what his intent is. God gives people in churches freedom to work within certain guidelines that he's laid down in Scripture. That's why you may not see a church service that's identical to ours. You may go to another church service and say, wow, they do this a little differently. Is that biblical? Well, I have to see what it is, but probably it is. But the the key is that it's done decently and that it's done in order. We have other doctrines like the doctrine of Christ being fully human and fully divine. No specific scripture spells this out blatantly, but we can deduce from scripture and several scriptures that speak of Christ's divinity, his equality with the very essence of the Father. And we can also see the very uh, realness of his humanity. And so when we put all these together, the sum total of our historic Christian faith is that Christ is fully divine and fully man. He's fully God and fully man. But, and we do, we do see glimpses of this in scripture, but we have to deduce from all systematically from scripture. And the same with the Trinity, father, son, and Holy spirit. God is three and he's one. Doesn't come right out and say that, but we see passages where we see the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit are all fully God. And we also see them individual as persons of the Godhead. So we don't have that specific verse that says, thou shalt join a local church and enroll in membership. However, we do have clues that this is exactly what the Lord would want. Our text clearly shows, as other texts do, that we have leaders of the church commanded to oversee the flock, which is a very specific group of people. And we see this in the local church. This is all over the New Testament. But just to give you a couple examples, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians, to their church. Now, he even wrote some other letters too, right? To the church in Ephesus, to the church in Thessalonica. He wrote to, in Philemon, to Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in your house. So these were house churches. These were churches identified with cities. But these were, excuse me, flocks of people that identified with a specific group that the shepherd can now say, this is the, these are the sheep. These are the people that are under the oversight. Now, does membership have to be formal? Because you may be saying, well, Pat, this is all good, but why such formality? I'm not joining a social club. I'm not joining a gym. Why the formal membership? I'm here, aren't I? And that's great that you're here. You know, and some churches just do that. Some churches just have you show up, and that's fine if that's the way they want to do it. I don't believe it's as biblical as we can get. You see, first, God is a covenant God. 
Throughout the scriptures, God deals with man with covenants. Again, contracts is a kind of a dirty way to say it. It feels very legal, right? But God gives a covenant to man. He says, look, here's what I'm going to do for you, and this is what I expect you from, from, what I expect from you. The beauty of the new covenant in Christ is that God does both. He gives us the covenant, the new covenant in Christ's blood, and he gives us the grace and enables us to follow in Christ's footsteps by giving us the Holy Spirit. But God, and we see in baptism, we see in the Lord's Supper, these are covenantal actions commanded by God, but performed by the church. And we already mentioned this. Second, God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. He's talking about the church worship service. Right? That's why we do things in a structured way, because it glorifies God, and it represents God when we do things methodically. Now, there's room for the Spirit to work, but God wants the foundation to be that of order. Now, we also see actual lists in Scripture or roles. We see in 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 11, a widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, etc., etc., And he also talks about younger widows and gives instructions there about them being on the list. This implies accountability. This implies the pastor or elder going, I need to make sure that these widows who are left alone are taken care of. If that widow is sort of elusive in here and there and everywhere, they have to come off the list. I can't help somebody I can't see. I can't help somebody that's not fully committed. And so they ask to make sure that they take these lists. We also see that God keeps the list, doesn't he? It's called the book of life. It's, uh, it's, you know, figuratively in heaven. It's a list of real, invisible, invisible church members on earth. And I believe that church membership is actually reflective of this book of life in heaven. And I'll get to that in a second. Fourth, we see in the New Testament, we see inclusion and we see exclusion. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul orders a man who's in an improper sexual relationship to be excluded from the church. Now, if he's commanded someone to be excluded, of course, they would have to first be included. You see, this is what it really comes down to. I've said all that to say this. Church membership, if it had to come down to one simple principle... It would be that of commitment. Church membership isn't about getting anyone to sign on the line. It isn't about retention. It isn't about making sure you give a certain amount of money every month. It's literally about on, on, on the elders and the leadership part and on the congregational members part, commitment. It's on both ends. Now, why is commitment so important? I don't have to explain this to you. You know this. You know how it works in your life. If you try to do something, you don't do it. You know, trying is a noisy way of not doing something. To paraphrase the great Bible teacher, Mr. Miyagi, either you karate do, yes, or you karate do, no. You karate try or guess so, and then he goes, you get squished like grape. 
He knows that it's a very, it's a lot of wisdom there. Trying doesn't work. Why? Because every commitment that you make in your life, you're going to hit obstacles. You're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to see all the things that are going wrong. And if you're not committed, you guess what you do? Oop, I'm going to go a different way. I see. I think that's why we have so much shifting in our American church. Somebody hears something they don't like at a church. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm done. Yeah, but what about the commitment? No, I'm, I'm not going to listen to that. Oh, the worship. I don't like this style of worship. Well, phew, off. They don't have a big enough this program, or they don't have a big enough that program. What's the solution to that? Well, we're going to talk about that as well. See, commitment means not giving up on your goal, and it means finding a way to go around, to go over or through the obstacle. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times that you need to leave a church. There are times when you should leave a church, even a church that you're committed to. If they start going off in the wrong direction, and you've worked, and you've tried, and you've talked to the elders, and you've, you've tried to have a voice, and you're just being shut out, maybe it's time for you to leave. But it's not going to be perfect at any church. It's not going to be perfect. There are going to be things that you are not going to like about this church. There's going to be things that you may like. But if you think you're going to go out and find the perfect church, trust me, I've been doing it for 20 some years and there is none. And then in 2008, I had the solution. I'm going to plant the perfect church. Uh-uh. That was a bomb. Right? Because it was all about me. It was all about my hobby. And it was all the things that I thought would should be in a church. But that's not how it works. This is the church of Christ. This is his body. We are all part of it. I'm just the mouth. Right? You may be the hands or the feet or something else or the ear. I'm just the mouth. But God has put me an overseer here, right? As one of the overseers here. And so that is an urgent thing for me. But even more important as a member of the church, it's also critically important too. So I'm preaching to myself. I have to be committed just as much as anyone else. So commitment is technically the only hard requirement for being a member, especially of this church. Now, what does this commitment entail? First commitment that you need to make is the commitment to Jesus Christ. You can't, listen, there's, there, again, I talked about the invisible church, right? That's all of the elect, all of the people who have ever believed in Christ from the beginning of time to the end of time. We don't know who they are. And then you have the visible church, those people that profess Jesus Christ. Or maybe they're seekers, or maybe they're skeptics, but they're, they're in here, they're hanging out, they're listening. Maybe they get converted, maybe they don't. Maybe they profess Jesus Christ as Lord, but it's really not a change in their heart. So we don't know. The best we can do is get that verbal confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you haven't come to Christ, then that's probably a good thing not to join a church if you're still in that seeking phase. What does it mean to be in Christ, to believe in Christ? You are a new creation. You are a new creature. You've been forgiven of your sin. You acknowledge that. You put all of your faith in Christ for your life and for your salvation. You know it's not about your works. And you know that he has died and that he has risen, and that he has ascended on high. That's the gospel. 
You believe that with all your heart? That's what we're looking for. We don't look and go, well, what type of good deeds have you done? Or what are your gifts? That's not what church membership's about. It's about saying, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I love Jesus Christ. I want to be here because he's commanded me to be part of a local body. Now, the second commitment is, is that you have to be um, committed to the local church itself. Because again, this is a body of people. This isn't about one person, two people, or even 10 people. It's about this body. And so you, as a member, take ownership of that. What does that mean? Well, you have skin in the game. You can vote in certain areas at our membership meetings. That's a, like you say, well, oh, great. Well, that's great. No, that's really important. Because if we just have the same 16 people voting every single time, guess what? There's really not much growth that's going to take place. We need fresh ideas. We need the Spirit of God working in you, contributing to this body. And when you say, I'm going to be a member, you are committing to do that. You are saying, I am willing and I'll be the vessel. Don't talk too much in the membership meetings. Just kidding. You're willing to submit to your leaders and to the other members of the church. So what what does that mean? You're saying that I'm proclaiming myself to be a follower of Christ. And if you see anything in me or about me that's not consistent with that of Christ, then you're going to tell me in love. And I'm going to do the same. That's what being in fellowship and being, that's one of the reasons God has us gather together is so that we can sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. The third part of the commitment is that you agree with and you become part of fulfilling our church vision. Now, I don't know if you know what the church vision is, but when you walk into the front doors of the church, it's right there on the sign by the water fountain. And in a nutshell, it says, our vision is renewal. That's the buzzword. Renewal through the verse-by-verse teaching or the, all of the whole entire Bible, the teaching of the word, verse by verse, so that way it's not about any hobby horse that I have or anyone else has. It's about the full word of God. It's about the power of the gospel that's changing people's lives and hearts. So how do we, how do we become part of that vision? Well, you become a living example of it. You become a living example by applying the word and making the word your ultimate standard of truth. That's really what it is. It's not some big, crazy vision here. You become a living example of the Word of God, knowing the power it has to transform. You live it out and you tell others about it. Fourth means you commit to the church by giving your time, by giving money, and by praying. This church doesn't operate on its own. The only reason that we're able to operate is because of the faithful giving that you guys have done. The only way that the reason that God blesses this church is because of the faithful praying that has been done. The only way things get done and people get ministered to is if people give their time to serve at the church. Now, not everybody is at the same place. So don't feel like this is pressure. I'm calling you out to make sure you do this and make sure you do that. But this is the overall normative in scripture of a person that's in a church. So maybe you can't give right now. That's fine. Maybe you can't give every month. That's fine. The Bible says give as your heart tells you to give unto the Lord. Maybe you don't have to. Maybe you're slammed at work right now and you can't attend all the meetings. That's fine. 
But there will come a time where God will use you when you stand up and you say, God, I am willing. Fifth, it's understanding church discipline. Now, this is hard because this is often taken out of context. Um, I mean, I've been in ministry for a while, maybe 20 years, formally, informally. And church discipline has been something that I've been involved with as a leader probably three or four times in the past 15 years. And all of the times other than one, everything was perfect and church discipline did exactly what it was supposed to do. It admonished the person that was in sin. It, took, it showed them that the church is here to love and care for them and help them in any way that they can. And But that person needed to change that behavior to be truly identified with Christ. Only one time did somebody re- totally reject it. And the church discipline was basically, well, if, you're, you know, if it's a ministry position, then you would be pulled out of ministry. If you're taking the Lord's Supper, we would ask you not to do that. It's not that you can't come to church anymore, you can't be here. That would be the ultimate extreme that I've never even really experienced or heard of in my lifetime. But I'm sure that it happens. Church discipline is a last resort, and it could save someone from dreadful, dreadful mistakes. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you could look at Matthew 18. So finally, it's all in. Being A commitment is being all in with Christ in his local church. There's nothing that leads to depression more than procrastination. More than that is vacillating and indecision, especially with your walk with the Lord. The local church is how the Lord pushes his kingdom forward through his people who are fully committed and on board with his program. We all have to be pushing in the same direction. The church membership is that funnel that we go through that ensures that we're pushing in the right direction. So why don't people commit to the local church? Well, I'm convinced that there's about four reasons. Number one, we hit on this a little bit. You're not ready to fully commit to Christ. And this is okay. Committing fully to Christ is a work of God, not man. So maybe you're still searching. And again, if that's you, then you need to withhold from, a tr- from church membership. Keep attending the services. Keep calling on the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord through the word. And God will do his work. Number two is that you may not think church membership is important. I'm hoping that I made a little bit of a case for that. But if not, you could do the study on the church through the scriptures on the authority of the church. On the authority that Christ gave his church. In his physical absence. Matthew 16, 13 says, speaking of, of, he's telling the apostles about this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So this is Jesus giving spiritual authority to his shepherds and overseers and submitting to the local church is like submitting unto the authority of Christ himself. It's not, we're not saying, oh, the, authority, the leaders of the church are Christ. No, but Christ has said, look, I'm going to be gone. Here's what I have in place as my authority structure. And there's a, a lot of people, oh, well, I don't need to do that. I am the church. I, could, I don't have to go to a local life. That's wrong. It's actually completely polar opposite of what Christ would want. 
The more you are tight into fellowship, the more you are under authority, not under authority, under accountability, I mean, that is that equates to a fuller, richer relationship with Jesus Christ. Membership turns that switch in your brain. It says, okay, I've settled the issue. I want to be accountable. It's not about being perfect. It's about being willing and taking action. And that's the third reason maybe you're not ready for real accountability. And I understand when I first became a Christian, I did not want to be accountable. I did not want my friend who led me to the Lord. He says, you know, we just, let's meet every once in a while. We ask about, I'm fine. You know, I said the prayer. I'm good. You know, that's a symptom, like symptom of easy believism. All I have to do is believe. I don't need all this other stuff. I don't need to be legalistic. It's not legalistic. It's a willing again. It's the willing. It's the aspect of the covenant as well. It's willing. It's not legalistic. And finally, maybe this church isn't for you. Maybe faith evangelical church is not for you, and that's fine. When people come here to visit, and I get to, and if they don't sneak out fast enough, I, I try to catch them on the way out. And I say, wait, what are you looking for in a church? And they tell me. You know, maybe you're not looking for a, a you know, an old-looking house or a bunch of old-looking houses crushed to the switch together. And you're, you know, this church, oh, I don't want to see it. Okay, fine. What are you looking for? You're looking for a more contemporary church? I'll t- tell you what, go down the street. I know the pastor. He's a great guy. Maybe that church is good for you. You're looking for a gigantic youth program? Well, we have a small program as of now, but if you're looking for that, here's another church over here. See, the purpose isn't to get you in here. The purpose is to get you to become under the authority of Christ. Yeah, so you want to get into a fellowship. doesn't have to be here. If you want something different, tell me. I'll help you find it. And I mean that. But here's the thing. If it has the essentials, like I was alluding to before, that's what you should look at. Ask yourself, what is it that's essential? For me, most recently before I came here, I was at Calvary Presbyterian Church for, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. When I found that church, it was not easy. I was looking for a church that had biblical church government because I had, was fed up with the, the whole wishy-washy sort of, where are we at? What are we doing? I've come through that. I wanted to make sure that the gospel was being preached every week in one shape or another. And I wanted accountability for the ministry that I was involved in. And that's where Pastor Craig, out of many other pastors, he was the one that says, yeah, absolutely, we can provide that for you. Because I had a street preaching ministry, and it wasn't very much understood by a lot of people. And I don't know what I'm getting into here. What do you you mean, street preaching? But he did it. And so that's what I look for. What are you looking for as the essential? Maybe we don't have it. That's fine. But maybe the essential is here, but there's some non-essentials that aren't. That's okay. You should make that commitment. We wouldn't imagine having a courtship or a marriage without commitment. Could you imagine if you told your wife or husband, well, you know, I'll live with you, I'll eat here, I'll shower there, I'll be a part of the family events, but I don't want to be committed. I want to keep my options open. It would never do that. You see, the church is Christ's bride. You are his bride. He purchased you, as our passage says, with his blood. And I don't want to start to put all these get mushy and gushy here, but how does he feel when his bride doesn't want to fully commit to him through his visible manifestation of himself 
on earth. See, mediocrity, in my opinion, is the enemy of excellence. I don't want to be mediocre here. I don't care about the actual size of our church. I could care less. But I know that God wants to use this fellowship for much more than what we're doing here. And I'm not trying to say, oh, you guys aren't doing enough. But I know that God has us to be used as a channel for the proclamation of his gospel, for reaching the lost, reaching the poor, reaching the needy, all the people in this community, God has given us this assignment. This is your territory. And I believe that having the commitment is the first thing that's needed. Currently, we have on a good day, maybe 40 or 50 people who regularly attend here, give or take. And again, I alluded to this. The sad part is we have 16 members. We have two elders, myself and Kevin. We have Pastor Craig, who's a visiting elder, who's agreed to help us in meetings. And Hubert, thankfully, is a deacon, and he's on the board as well. But know that as long as there are few people wanting to become committed to the church, and there's no members available to move into leadership, we're hamstringing ourselves. You can't run with a pulled hamstring. I've had it. You can hobble along, but there will be a restriction on your effectiveness. See, I believe we will stay as we are in a holding pattern as long as we stay minimalized and on people unwilling to get involved and to make that extra commitment. I'm telling you this out of love. I'm not trying to beat on you, pound on you. This is my fault. I'm responsible for this. This is something that God has just awoken me to recently through the help of the elders and other people. I've always had a, you know, a very cautious sort of mindset about approaching you with this. But I believe it's time. I believe we have, to make a, we have to make a decision. I know that this church has been, you guys have, a lot of you that have been here, you know, you think about the old days and you're like, wow, look at what it used to be. It used to be packed out. We had a big Spanish ministry. We used to do vacation Bible school. We used to do this. We used to have youth. We used to have young adults. We used to, we used to, we used to. That's gone and done. The good old days need to be now made into new good old days. And so that's only going to happen if we collectively commit to this fellowship. We have to break the Sunday-centric mentality. And unless men particularly step up to be committed to the church, to come into leadership, we're going to continue to tread water. We won't become the chosen and frozen. We'll be those that melt away. We have so much potential, people. Think about why you're here. Think about where you want to go. Think about what you want to do for the Lord. Think about the gifts that God has given you that you have kept on the shelf. It's time to make yourself willing. You don't have to sit here and go, just step out. Make yourself willing. And God will use you. And one of the things that you could do for an application is put a deadline on your decision. Take action. Put a deadline. Because unless we put a deadline on things, I do this all the time with God with prayer. Now, I'm going to pray about something for one month or two months, and then I'm going to sense what the Lord wants, and I'm going to take action. Because God doesn't want me just vacillating in prayer all the time. There's a time where we have to stop thinking and start doing. It's just like a screenplay. You can write a screenplay over and over and keep writing it to perpetuity. 
But there's at one point you got to say, okay, here's the story. We're going to make this movie. Well, here's our story. This is what we have to do. Now we have to move forward. So I'm going to ask you if this is something. I want you to pray about this. If you're not a member, pray about becoming a member. We're going to be having a membership class. You can sign up in the back on the list back there. You can also sign up online. I have a big old image on the front page of the website. You can click on that. But take that action. You're not signing up to be a member. You're just saying, I'm interested. And when you do that, I'll give you one of these books, which is a really great book from the EFCA. And basically, it tells you all about, it takes what I just said, but levels deeper. And it gives you sort of a workbook to go through. And so I'd ask you to do that. It'll probably take you 30 minutes to an hour. And then what we'll do is we'll meet together as a group, have a couple classes, maybe two or three classes. Then we'll have you come up to the church and walk on hot coals of fire so everybody can see your commitment. We'll have you come up. We'll do, we'll do, you've seen us do it. We do four or five membership vows. And we pray. And the membership vows are just the gospel. Yes, I believe this. I believe that. But that's the commitment we need in order, I believe, to, be take, to take our effectiveness up to the next level. So with that said, let's ask the Lord to pray, or ask the Lord to intervene as we pray. Father, you are the one that's in charge of this church. You've sent your son to pour out his blood for it. And not just your church wholesale, Lord, but each and every person that's here. You know what it is that you have us to do. But Lord, I know that you want to move in this, in this town, locally, even internationally, Lord, you've used this church in so many ways. But Lord, I know that you have more for us not because of anything in ourselves, but just because of the unlimited potential that we have here. And so, Lord, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts. What do we have to do, God? Show us. Lord, I pray that if anyone here is considering committing to this local body, that you would confirm that to them, Lord, in the way that you do. And Lord, I pray that, as always, this church would be used for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing with us this hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus, remembering that if our full commitment is to Jesus, then we'll give that commitment to the church as well.
Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. We've got some announcements for the week. Uh, so first of all, there's a plate in the back for tithes and offerings. Uh, so for those who regularly attend the church, uh, we definitely recommend that you guys give cheerfully if you feel so led. Uh, this Tuesday, we have our house of prayer. Uh, that's going to be on Zoom at about 730. Uh, the link is on the website and it's also in the weekly updates. Uh, so that's like the emails that you guys receive. Uh, this Wednesday, we have our Bible study and sermon review. Uh, that's going to be from about 7 to 8. Um, so if you have any questions about uh, this Sunday's sermon, uh, we definitely recommend that you guys check it out. It's a great time to fellowship, ask some questions. Our next men's and women's Bible study is going to be on Thursday, October 26. Uh, so not this Thursday, but the following Thursday. Um, that's going to run from about 7 to 8.15. Uh, the men are going to be continuing their study uh, to the letter uh, to the Philippians. And the women's group is going to be studying the letter of James. Um, so definitely uh, feel free to check that out. It's a great time of fellowship. And uh, there's also a full list of coming dates on the website. So that's going to be coming, coming up uh, pretty much all this fall. And our congregation meeting where we discuss officers, budget, and other topics uh, will be immediately after service on Sunday, October 29th. Uh, food will be served, so hopefully that's an incentive to come join us for that. <laughs> uh, all voting members are asked to attend, along with non-voting members as well. And uh, before I forget, uh, Sunday at 9.30 in the morning, we're doing a study called Foundations. Um, so that's basically where we're looking at the major doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, that's going to be through the lens of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, so again, if you have any questions about the early church, uh, we definitely recommend that you guys uh, check that out. And last but not least, uh, just like Pastor Pat uh, mentioned before, uh, if you're thinking about becoming a member of the church, uh, we definitely recommend that you um, sign up in the back if you're interested. Um, there's that class that's coming up, and uh, there's also a, uh, a link on the website that you guys can also click into as well. Thank you. Before we get to the benediction, we're actually going to do something different this Wednesday night. Uh, recently, this week, um, I've gotten inundated with questions about what's going on in Israel, how does it pertain to the end times, those types of things. So I wrote an article on that. Basically, the premise of the article was, you know, uh, Israel's attacked. Is this the beginning of the end and how should Christians respond? Um, does the Bible speak about Israel being attacked in the last days? Could, is this the last day? Are these the last days? Is this war the precursor of the seven-year Great Tribulation that's uh, a, a supposed Great Tribulation that's uh, spoken about in Daniel and Matthew by Jesus himself? And is the rapture going to happen? If you don't want to show up, my answer to those are no, no, and no. But I would have you to come and ask questions, and I'm going to flesh this out. This is something that I believe is much more than just getting the end times right. This affects our whole entire worldview on how we look at the gospel, on how we look at our purpose here for the kingdom. So you can go on the website, click blog, you could read the article, and uh, I encourage you to show up on Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit about the sermon, but we're going to primarily be taking questions and answers about the end times. So bring your questions and show up for Wednesday. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, with that said, before I do the benediction and prayer, this is what we're going to, this is what we do every week. And in light of our service last week about the church worship service, corporate worship, one of the things that I didn't mention is, well, what is the benediction? What is the blessing and prayer? I'm not going to go into another sermon. But basically, our benediction, blessing and prayer says, listen, we've worshiped the Lord and now we are invoking his blessing upon us. We're asking for his grace to come over us, 
until the next time that we meet. We bless God as he blesses us, and we do this in our doxology by acknowledging his triune blessing and express our final praise. So with that said, please stand for the benediction and prayer, which is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.